This is Ayani. And this is Corinne. And you're listening to Sex, Love, Literature, a pop culture podcast where we take a semi-scholarly look at why and how the sex stuff in media matters. This episode, we're doing something a little different. So earlier this month, Ayani and I participated in the Let's Talk About Sex in YA conference mm-hmm. hosted by the University of Cambridge, although held virtually over Zoom. So as you can see, right up our alley, <laughs> we actually partnered with Dr. Leah Phillips, who is, quote, an early career researcher in the field of YA studies, but also our buddy. We like her a lot. To put on the paper, Tamora Pierce was my Judy Bloom, sex ed in young adult fantasy. It was kind of more of an interview. I acted as the moderator, interviewer with Corinne and Dr. Phillips as the interesting interview. <laughs> So to give you a little bit of context about how academic conferences normally work, in case you are not familiar, uh, so normally at conferences, a whole bunch of academics with with similar research interests, so in Mm. this case, sex and YA, (laughs) but so we get together and present pieces of our sort of ongoing research Mm -hmm, to each other mm -hmm. in order to get new perspectives and feedback. These presentations... I did, in fact, hear Chloe just then. <laughs> uh, so in case you're wondering, that is Aoni's psychotic cat, Chloe. Oh, yeah. You're but not I, wrong. I have noticed. So what's been happening for virtual conferences is that people will then record themselves presenting their paper. And many cats have made an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this is just in keeping with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's hungry. But – One of the things that I thought would be fun for this, because one of the things I really miss about getting to do conferences in person is getting to talk to other people and Mm -hmm. actually sort of have discussions and not just have like me talking at my living room, which (laughs) I did a lot of when I was teaching online. But so I reached out to Leah because we both do a lot of work on young adult fantasy and particularly on Tamora Pierce to see if she wanted to collaborate I think we met through Twitter, actually. Twitter is, like, great for academic relationships, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But so we met through Twitter, and then we'd met in person a couple of times at a number of conferences. And I thought it would be fun for us, since I knew we were both presenting on Tamora Pierce, and we'd had this conversation at IRSCL, or the International Research Society and Children's Literature Conference mm-hmm, at Stockholm, mm-hmm. I guess at this point a year and a half ago about how Tamora Pierce, who is this sort of foundational fantasy young adult author, had functioned as a seminal figure for us in like how we learned about sex. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we were both presenting on different angles of this for this conference in the abstracts or brief summaries of our arguments that we had submitted to this conference. So we decided to join forces and and have a sort of podcast-style presentation Instead. So that's what you're going to be listening to (laughs) when you play this episode. It's a lot of fun. I had a great time kind of as a moderator. While I do study fantasy, I really only know Tamora Pierce because of my childhood reading. It's not my bag, but the conversation was a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast presentation that is definitely in the sex love literature vein. Mm-hmm. Though perhaps maybe a little bit different tonally since it's more of an interview. So this pre- this presentation slash podcast might get a little bit more academic than what you're used to on the podcast, but it'll give you a taste of what we do in our more everyday work as PhD candidates and academics. So yeah, as we always say, and now on to the show. Tell me to stop if you don't like it. Tell me I'm unwelcome and I'll go. He said it in all seriousness, his eyes sharp on my face. I've yet to push myself on a woman who doesn't like me. Tell me to piss off, Becca. No, I snapped instead. I felt him chuckle more than I heard it. Then we still have a game. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So why did, why this quote? Where, where is this? What is this? Why? <laughs> So that is from Bloodhound, the second book in Tamora Pierce's Becca Cooper trilogy, and it is 
Dale, who is romancing our main character, Becca. And I like this quote because it's interesting to think about in terms of consent, because it's an instance where Becca saying no means yes. And that's very clear from the context. So it makes us think about consent a little bit in an unexpected way. What do do y'all think? I mean, I really like, I felt him chuckle more than I heard it. I was like, (laughs) I knew you were going there. I also like that it's so clearly Becca. Like, mm-hmm. she's this kind of gruff, no, like, seeing soft sides of her is kind of rare. Mm-hmm. So, like, her saying yes, going, no, I snapped instead, <laughs> is kind of classic Becca. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, and it, like, because her flirtation style is very, like, pretending that she doesn't like it when she does. So, for, like, yeah. Dale to be like, okay, but, like, if you really don't like it, I don't, I'm not, I'm not gonna is like so important, but like mm-hmm. that she's able to mm-hmm. maintain her personality mm-hmm. while communicating what she wants. Also, it's just like, then we still have a game is so funny. Yeah, right? She gets so playful with him in a way that she's not normally or with anybody else that she's with in the series. Like he brings mm-hmm. out a playful side to her that is just amazing. Ooh. Yeah. Excellent. Well, hello there. Let's talk about sex and YA conference folks. My name is Ayani Cooper, and I have a very special treat for you today. Welcome to the podcast paper. Tamora Pierce was our Judy Bloom sex ed in YA fantasy, uh, featuring the lovely Corinne Matthews and the fantastic Dr. Leah Phillips. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so today, instead of giving you two separate conference style conference papers, you're going to be getting a little bit of a treat in which these two fantastic scholars are coming together to talk about some of their most favoritistest (laughs) reading materials of all time. But before we launch into our conversation proper, by way of quick introduction, as I said, my name is Ayani Cooper. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Florida who studies monsters, monstrosity, desire, fun things like that. And your main speakers for today, I'm going to turn it over to them. Corinne, who are you? Hello, I'm Corinne Matthews. I am uh, also a PhD candidate uh, in the Department of English at the University of Florida. I specialize in children's literature and my dissertation is on consent in contemporary young adult speculative fiction. I also uh, co-host the podcast Sex Love Literature with Ayani, which is what inspired this presentation. And I am enjoying not being in the driver's seat and instead making Ayani do all the work. (laughs) I forgot. That's why I'm here. Yes, we do (laughs) co-host a podcast together, don't we? I just launched right into it. So, Leah, who are you? Tell the people. Now, that is the question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am Dr. Leah Phillips. I am an early career academic and the president and founder of the YA Studies Association. And Yay! I guess, it is a good, fun thing. Um, and I guess the biggest thing about me at the moment is that I'm finishing up a book project, finally, um, called Female Heroes in Young Adult Fantasy Fiction, Reframing Myths of Adolescent Girlhoods. Um, it's going to be with my editor in July. So academic publishing takes ages, but it's on the trajectory <laughs> to getting out in the world. That is super exciting. I wish they could see our faces because I was just making like big silly grins because that's super exciting. I mean, I say some horrible things about Bella Swan and Katniss Everdeen in the book. <laughs> As one does. I say some even more horrible things about Walt Disney Cinderella and Ooh. then say some really cool things about girls in Y in a certain genre of Y fantasy <laughs> that I'm really interested in. Oh, so this is just going to be filled with spicy hot takes is what I'm hearing? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Excellent. I think it's important perhaps to establish some context about what it is you guys are going to be talking Mm -hmm. about today. So Mm -hmm. who is Tamora Pierce? Am I saying Tamora Pierce correctly? (laughs) That's a question. (laughs) Question for the ages. (laughs) When she debates on her website... She debates how to pronounce her own name? Apparently it was a confusing thing, and it technically is Tamara. Oh my god. (laughs) But everyone says Tamara. 
Yeah, I grew up. I grew up saying Tamora. Like I, I, I'm glad to know it's Tamara, but like I don't know if I can fix it. And I think right because that's what we've been saying. Um, It's something to do with the name that was written down on your birth certificate and someone misspelling it. I think, and so that's yeah. Technically, I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain it's Tamara, but. I'm going to say Tamora Pierce throughout because yep. that is <laughs> what I know. That is so interesting. So two really quick digressions. One, it's so interesting to think about words that we read and don't actually hear, yes. especially mm-hmm. coming from, I mean, we were all alive before the internet <laughs> was really a thing. So these words that we just, we didn't hear them. So we had to sound them out and figure them out for mm-hmm. ourselves in a lot of ways. Um, and two, I, my birth, my name was actually wrong on my birth what? certificate. So my parents mm-hmm. had to get a correction. So on the back of my birth certificate, it was really simple. There was supposed to be an accident in my middle name and they didn't put it. They have like corrected name. So I, I totally get that. That's the thing that happens. That's kind of a, that, it's an interesting record of how you and your name came into mm-hmm. being, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh. I would say so. Mm. But yeah, so tell us a little bit about Pierce. I'm just going to go with Pierce because Pierce. my mind is blown. <laughs> so Tamora Pierce um, started publishing YA books in the early 1980s. Um, her first series was the Song of the Lioness Quartet. Really interestingly, she originally wrote it as an adult fantasy novel. It's the 732-page adult novel that she swears doesn't exist anymore. That she And I mean, she was writing before the advent of internet technology Um, (laughs) so she very well probably has destroyed it Um, but it was an agent and then um, editor who suggested she retell um, this kind of adult novel about Alana as four books for teenagers is the quote on her webpage and really really glad that that agent Claire Smith's her name um, suggested Pierce make those changes because it kick-started what has become a, a genre that I call mythopoeic YA um, mm. that's doing some really cool interventionist work, which is one of the things in that we're going to talk about, kind of the sex side of this interventionist work. Mm. Um, but if she hadn't done that, if she hadn't made that suggestion, the trajectory of, of a whole couple of generations now of mm. fantasy wouldn't, possibly exist or exist in a way that it does and that's kind of really mind-blowing to think about that that one mm, small suggestion mm-hmm. really kind of kick-started a whole movement um oh, and that, also yeah go ahead sorry go ahead well I was just going to quickly say she then published the Immortals Quartet and the Protector of the Small Quartet and then several others after that so we've we pretty much from 1983 to her most recent book in 2019 have a book every other year from tomorrow pierce yeah so um, to give to give people some context who may not be as familiar with the work of tomorrow pierce uh she has published 29 books and some short oof. stories and a spies guide in like the last 40 years also i think she had like breast cancer in that time so like that sure. so she she's incredibly prolific mm-hmm. and to help situate you further within the writing of her world because we are going to probably end up name dropping way too many characters for us to go over now <laughs> uh she writes in two <laughs> in two main worlds one is the tortal universe and that's where you have alana the lioness uh Caladri, you're like lady knights you're that like that whole kind of mm-hmm. medievalism mm-hmm. fantasy world and the other world she writes in is the circle universe which is still the same sort of like pseudo medieval situation but it has a different system of system of magic and instead of having series of books that focus on like one character's entire journey uh she instead has a couple of sets of books that follow the same four main characters as they grow up so what we'll be talking about the tortal universe and the circle universe and Lee also alluded to this, but Pierce is like a direct influence on almost every fantasy, uh, YA fantasy writer, at least writing right now. And it's not just mm-hmm. like us being like, we wish you would take Tamora Pierce more seriously because we think this. Like, no, they say it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, like they publicly acknowledge her as like an influence. So I was looking at one of my copies of Pierce's more recent books and like, 
in the like blurbs of people, you know, pushing it or pub- or mm-hmm. praising it, like <laughs> the author is quoted like is almost like a who's who of who's working in YA fantasy right now. So like it includes Lee Bardugo, Holly Black, Sarah J. Mass, Ray Carson, Bruce Coville, Rachel Rachel Hartman, mm-hmm. Garth Nix, Naomi Novik, Catherine Arden, like she is such a huge influence. Do you know, mm-hmm. I was I was revising a section in my book today where I was talking about how Tolkien influenced Pierce. And as something struck me, partly because of the conversations we've been having about how mm-hmm. as much as Tolkien influenced Pierce and kind of a whole generation of fantasy writers, Pierce is now doing that for a whole mm-hmm. generation of YA fantasy mm-hmm. writers. Mm-hmm. And yet, Corinne's right. We don't talk about her nearly enough. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say, like, there are there are a handful of articles that people have written on Tamora Pierce. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons Lee and I wanted to do this uh, conference presentation is that, like, Tamora Pierce really <laughs> isn't given her due. And, like, even when the, peop- the few people who write about her do so, people almost always talk about Alana. And Alana's great. I love Alana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tamora Pierce has written at least 25 books since she wrote about Alana. <laughs> I kind of want to segue here and I might be kind of putting things before things, but Corinne, what was the first Tamora Pierce book you ever read? So the first Ooh. Tamora Pierce book I ever read was actually Sandry's book, which is the first book in the Circle of Magic world. Um, the first quartet in there is Sandry's book and then Triss's book and Dodger's book and then Briar's book. So like they're each named mm-hmm. for the characters. And mm-hmm. like I... I actually, to bring it back to sex, when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to read the Alana books because my mom knew there was sex in them. And mm-hmm. I probably read them. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was elementary school or middle school, but it was when I was quite young. And I and the Circle of Magic books, because they follow these characters starting from when they're like nine or ten instead of like going to and we do end up like in the will of the empress with these characters at like 18 or 19 they're not having sex Mm -hmm. when they're nine or (laughs) ten so like i was allowed to read those books in a way that i was (laughs) not allowed to read uh the other book so i went Mm -hmm. i did go back and read like alana and other books like that when i was in college to try and be like more of a completist because i knew i loved more pierce but i started with the circle books Mm -hmm. what what about you leah do you know what? The Immortals Quartet, Dane's books, and Dane's our shape-shifting mm-hmm. heroine. Um, that's the first one that I got into. And it was a friend of mine when I was, and this is showing my age, um, <laughs> I was in high school, um, and one of my friends, Sarah, and actually I have Sarah to blame for everything now because she's the one who got me onto Tomorrow Pierce. She was like, go read this, go read this, go read this. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. And then, yeah, the rest is history. I've been writing on Tamora Pierce and thinking about her fantasy for way too long. Well, I was also thinking, because I think, so my mom knew the Atlanta books had sex in them, but like she, she didn't know necessarily like as more books came out that like that, I mean, I think I was, I was older when the Becca books came out, but like when the Alley books came out. My, mm-hmm. Like, my mom had this book that, like, listed things to be wary of in uh, various literate, various uh, children's and young adult literature. I grew up in a very uh, conservative environment. That's uh, a which, conversation we should have at some point. Yeah. <laughs> because I grew up in a different kind of conservative environment. But that did shape what I was allowed to read. But then that also meant yeah. that it, when my mom didn't have the heads up about, like, these other books that I then wanted okay. to read because I wanted to read the work of this author that i knew mm-hmm. that i liked they're like there's there's sex in the alley books oh but, yes. like my mom didn't know that so i read them but like then i was reading these books in which alana mm-hmm. like the mythology of alana the lioness is part of those books so like when i mm-hmm. went to read the alana books i already knew about her like as a myth and as a legend within the world before i knew her as a character which is so interesting about this world. One of the things that makes it such a, a but I'm going to start doing sexual innuendos because we're thinking about sex, <laughs> but like a vibrant, ripe, productive sort of space, right? That you can slip in and out of different parts of the world. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Actually, I'm gonna interject you're gonna jump here in with a question. Yeah, because you guys are like brimming with information and wanting to talk. Um. So really quickly though, why? 
are you studying Pierce? We both, you both kind of talked mm. about how much you love her and Leah, how your friend has kind of doomed you to an eternity of <laughs> Pierce, right? But what is it about her work that makes you want to study it? And kind of as, or rather maybe how does Pierce factor into mm-hmm. your work? And kind of as a additional question, why, and this is, this is a, not a deviled advocate question, but kind of a grumpy snooty nose in the air question that I also have an answer to but like why even study fantasy like this you know why what is the fantastic bringing to the table like obviously we all have an answer you know but um why even study this and why Tamora Pierce specifically in the umbrella of fantasy I'll let you take that first. Oh, where am I going to go first? This is one of the things I, I I love the question, partly because while Corinne and I work on Pierce, we work on two very different things within mm-hmm. the kind of umbrella of what Pierce does, which I love. I think it means we can have these fantastically wonderful conversations because like my interest is over here and hers is here. And sometimes they meet and overlap, <laughs> but that's proof of point for one thing that there is so much to talk about within the world of Pierce that you've got two plus heaps there, there are several other scholars doing work on Tamora Pierce which is just exciting and there's enough room for all of us at the table I specifically focus on Tamora Pierce because I'm interested in adolescent girlhood mm-hmm. and I'm interested in pushing back against that kind of dominant right we all grow up seeing the magazine images and the film productions that kind of subconsciously and sometimes overtly tell us that we're all supposed to look like Cinderella, mm-hmm. the Disney one. And most of us <laughs> don't for like whole heaps nope. of reasons, right? And so that's that shit to like say it in more <laughs> eloquent terms than I will ever say it in my book. Um, I mean, for but, one thing, Cinderella is not a curly girl. So, you know. Not, right? not okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she's so sparkly and shiny and white. And yeah. I mean, I'm very oily, shiny right now, but not quite the same thing. <laughs> it's not. It's, yeah. I, oh, okay. Tangent. Uh, <laughs> so for, for me, Pierce, because she's got Alana who cross-dresses, she trades places with her twin brother so she can go to the palace to train to become a knight. She's got Dane, who shapeshifts, who, because she's a demigoddess, her mum's a mortal woman and her dad's a god, she has this connection with animals that means she can ultimately become different animals and also multiple animals all mixed up together because she's just got this amazing ability. Ooh. And you've, you've also got Kel, who's like the quiet, non-magical non-god touched who also is pushing the boundaries of what it means to be a girl within this world she's the Mm. second girl within pierce's world to try to become a knight and she doesn't have to disguise the fact that she's a girl like alana did Mm -hmm. and then you've got ali who's alana's daughter who's doing all these really cool trickster things and i'm just it's the for me it's the bodies and the the difference in the way they they Mm. break they bleed they grow other bodies they change into new bodies that just keeps me going back time and time again it's just it's such a wealth of of things to think about Mm. Mm -hmm. and what about you Corinne so I kind of come at it I come at it from a different direction so I think about Mm. consent a lot in my work which then inevitably involves thinking about it well it also involves thinking about sex education how how you learn how consent works it involves thinking about birth control it involves thinking as well about like sexual assault uh and because Tamora Pierce has been writing for so long and has written so Mm -hmm. many stories one of the things that I find very valuable in looking at her work is I can look at how Pierce is thinking about or using or depicting the way that consent works for Alana and then like compare it to how it's working for Becca because Alana was published in the 80s, Becca was published in the 2000s. So you can sort of see how that ideology is shifting uh, Mm -hmm. as like these books because these books are still a product of their time. Uh, But it's also, I think, very valuable. Well, A, because Tamora Pierce, first of all, has birth control built built into these fantasy worlds that is wildly different <laughs> yeah. from like mm-hmm. the pill or 
condoms or whatever it is we do in real life, um, which is what originally <laughs> made me think about it's it. Boring old, you know. <laughs> but like then, when we have so many different stories of like different women who have sex for different reasons, use birth control for different reasons, yeah. have this multiplicity mm-hmm. of relationships that I can then compare. And that's also useful for mm-hmm. thinking about that. Like there are different kinds of relationships in life. And also to tie it back to this sort of question of mm-hmm. why, why, why a fantasy, not just in relation to Pierce, but more generally, there is this sort of tendency to use how realistic is it as the measuring stick for how good it is. Mm-hmm. And I know that is especially the case. So like in the chapter that I'm working on right now, I'm thinking a lot about sexual assault and a lot of the ways people think about like Laurie House Anderson speak and various other books that think about Mm -hmm. rape. It's like, well, like how much is it like the real world? And if it's not like the real world, it must be bad. And in fantasy, there are ways in which these situations can be like the real world, but it then forces us to ask different questions because the point is not Mm -hmm. how realistic is it? It's what else can we imagine what other possibilities does this illuminate for readers within these like various questions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without being preachy and teachy I mean Mm -hmm. I love I do love Judy Bloom right I mean (laughs) I was that kid who that's probably one of the first times I read about sex was in her forever that like iconic text Mm -hmm. but it reads like an instruction manual in some ways, like how to take yourself to Planned Parenthood to get the pill, what it's going to be like the first, it's going to be awkward. It's going to like, it, it does that. But in Pierce's world, it's not that sex is like the story. It's mm-hmm. part of our girl's story, which I know Corinne mm-hmm. and I like mm-hmm. fangirl over all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a definitive overlap you know, just from hearing the kinds of things that you guys are looking at in Pierce. But we can only talk about so much in the context (laughs) of a podcast, right? So obviously, sex is a very large umbrella term. There are a lot of things that fall under or into the bucket of sex, which is a terrible phrase, and I should not have said it. But there are a lot of things that fall into this kind of concept of sex. So when we're talking about Pierce, what kinds of things are you guys thinking about? I know a lot in my research, I think a lot about desire and how desire is functioning and how it's working. Mm. But it sounds like there are very specific things within Pierce that you all are thinking about and want to talk about today. Me? Mm-hmm. I think it's an <laughs> interesting one. I, this is another one of those moments where I think the research that Corinne and I do like really slots in so nicely with one another because I don't Mm -hmm. really think about consent although there's one chapter where I think about consent in a kind of really lateral way that I now want to go Mm -hmm. and talk to Corinne about when we're not on a podcast (laughs) about sex and why because it has nothing to do with sex whatsoever sight each other absolutely yeah (laughs) yes um but I'm interested in the kind of part of sex that that deals like periods, right? We don't talk Mm -hmm. about periods in mainstream fiction, in films. I mean, like Katniss Everdeen goes into the Hunger Games and she never gets her periods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She also like lives in the poorest district of Panem and like has really well-kempt body hair, which kind of goes into this sexuality (laughs) thing. (laughs) But the girls in Pierce's world get their periods. Mm-hmm. We see their first periods. We see them coming into terms with those. And that's, and, and Pierce does it really beautifully. It's not to say that like all girls have to get their period to be a girl, but for lots of girls, that is kind of part of the story. And so it gets included in their stories. I'm interested mm-hmm. in that. And I'm interested in pregnancy, weirdly, because this is imaginary world mm-hmm. fantasy. And we get mm-hmm. stories starting with like 11 year olds, but like Corinne was talking about, reading other books by Pierce and like seeing the echoes of Alana's story before she actually read Alana's story. Mm-hmm. We get to see Alana, the 1983 heroine as an adult mm-hmm. woman with children in some of the later books. And so I'm interested in those, in that part of sex for me, periods mm-hmm. and the messiness of kind of dealing with being a girl. Cause sometimes being a girl is messy. 
Well, and it's it's also building on that interesting how the way that Tamora Pierce sort of talks about periods develops yeah. over the course of like the books that she yeah. writes. So, like I'm thinking about in Alana. Alana has her first period. She has no idea what's happening. She has to like find a healer who like to tell her like what is going on. And also like she can't ask the palace healers because then they'll know she's a girl. And like it is a mm-hmm. whole situation. And then but then and then she does learn about them. And it's it's a really good sequence that a lot of people yeah. have an- have correctly analyzed. But like that, then we go to someone like Becca Cooper, who when we meet her is already like she's already kind of grown. She's like starting her first yeah. job. Uh, and she already knows what periods are. So like we don't see the same sort of like learning what periods mm-hmm. are, learning what sex is. But we do see her like when she goes on a trip, like having to pack pads and like plan for like how many monthlies well, like she might have while she's there. Yeah. We also mm-hmm. see Becca having like cramps and like feeling kind of crappy when she's on her period, which like is just I forgot about the cramps. You're how so, could you forget about the cramps, I, How Leah? could I forget about the cramps? <laughs> so it, it's just yeah, like a very sorry. mundane aspect in this fantasy world that like, I mean, feels very familiar yeah. to me, but also mm-hmm, is then mm-hmm. interesting. Like one of the things that Alana asks Mistress Cooper, the healer she gets to is like, oh, well, like, will, th- will this stop me? Will this hold me back? And Mr. Co- Mistress Cooper says like, no. And le- I mean, unless you guess get pregnant because like that that'll probably hold you back but like slow you down (laughs) but also thinking about that i wouldn't necessarily when on my period wish to ride horses and fight with swords and like do all of that like at 100 percent. so there there is like more layers added as pierce goes on Mm -hmm. and and like adds these additional characters who go through the same things but experience them differently yeah, that's that's an excellent point. I mean, when you were talking about Becca, I know something that was not a shock to me, but like when I was in the working force for the first time and had terrible, terrible cramps, it's like, well, I can't just not go to work mm. and be at home like I would not go to class necessarily or lay in the nurse's office, right? So I think it's interesting to think about how these things might impact mm-hmm. fantasy heroines as, you know, their lives go on. But my cramps aside... <laughs> <laughs> Um, are there any other so we're thinking about kind of the practicalities of sex here Mm. are there any of I think we talked a little bit about Elena we talked a little bit about Becca but are there other places in Pierce's world in her I always want to say discography instead of bibliography when I'm talking (laughs) about books but are there other places in her bibliography where you're seeing kind of these practicalities of sex. I really like that phrase. Whichever one of you wrote it, like, it comes out. Um, But that we're seeing those things kind of, not in the forefront, as you're saying, but kind of making a major wave or a major statement, for lack of a better word, in her work. So the really big one for me, and this is where a lot of my work comes in, I started thinking about contraception and young adult Mm -hmm. fantasy before I started Mm -hmm. thinking about consent. And Mm -hmm. although the article that I wrote about this ended up being about Kristen Kishore and her Graceling trilogy, uh, which is actually no longer a trilogy because another one just came out. Uh, But um, quartet. It's a quartet. We're talking about a lot of quartet. It's a quartet. quartet. And and she's actually working on a fifth one. So like it is – Anyway, I'm a Graceling fangirl. That is Quintet? I think at this point we can just call it a series. Oh, series? No. (laughs) In the Graceling world? Gracing realms. World. I like that. I like worlds. Worlds are good. But so Krista Gashore uses birth control in her Graceling series, which I look at. But in this in, in my article that I wrote about it, I also had to talk about how Tamora Pierce uses birth control in her fantasy world because it is such a direct influence. And in fact, Kristen Gashore even specifically says that Tamora Pierce's work and inclusion of birth control in her fantasy worlds was was a sort of like, well, she did it, you can do it too kind of thing. Mm. So birth control in Tamora Pierce's worlds is then very interesting because she has these two different magical worlds that she can write in that she comes up with two different kinds. So in the Tortell universe, it's an anti-pregnancy magical charm that different characters can wear. And that's very Mm -hmm. interesting to like, think about that. Like Alana gets like an anti-pregnancy charm that she wears as like a, like an amulet kind of thing, I think Um, like as a necklace. And then like, Becca gets one later and then when Becca gets one because Becca is lower class also like Allie uses one 
I, Kel gets one too. <laughs> Dane all the girls loses too. her. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like that's addressed in different ways for each one. But like for example, when Becca gets one because she's mm-hmm. lower class, she worries about the quality of it, which is mm-hmm. interesting to think mm-hmm. about access and monetary privilege yeah. mattering for who gets it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but she also then by making mm-hmm. this an anti-pregnancy charm that women wear has kind of written herself into a particular corner about whose yeah. responsibility it is to use birth control mm-hmm. so then when we go to the circle series or the circle worlds birth control instead is an herb that men take which i find wildly fascinating so there's an exchange here that i wrote down where a character tells briar who is like a little bit of a playboy but like a responsible one that like if (laughs) he gets a playboy basically saying like if you get women pregnant i hope you also give them a lot of money so that like they can deal with that (laughs) and briar's response is like responsibility is my middle name droughtwort is my other middle name and then it has in like a narrative aside like the droughtwort herb rendered any man who ate it sterile for days Briar was determined not to sire any children who might be left parentless if something happened to their mothers. Uh, and it's also important in this context mm. to note that Briar is sort of like traveling. So th- this isn't just that he like is ghosting people. They know, they know going into mm-hmm. it that he's like <laughs> there for a good time, not a long time. Uh, <laughs> but like that is interesting because it affects who the agency is on to like use birth control Mm -hmm. it also affects like who knows about it and then there's layers of like well maybe he lied about taking it and Mm. the will of the empress the book that's from is also a big old metaphor for rape culture so thinking about how birth control is working in that book is particularly interesting Mm. and also interesting Mm -hmm. then to think about consent Mm -hmm. because of the presence and use of birth control does not guarantee consent it helps it enables like our all of our like lady characters to be able to have sex and not get pregnant and they're therefore not have their whole stories be about the consequences of sex but it doesn't guarantee them the agency to like make those decisions themselves if like someone is making them use it if someone is making them not use it like there Mm. there are layers here but yeah birth control (laughs) leah did you want to kind of it's interesting i and it's listening to Corinne talk about the way birth control is happening in the total universe and the way it's happening in the circle universe and how I love that about Pierce's two kind of worlds. They comment mm-hmm. and complement one another in some beautifully ways. But in both worlds, it's, it's a question of power, isn't it? And it's a question mm-hmm. of power on the body in a really kind of Foucauldian sense and how power plays work. And it's so great to see our girls in the Tortoise universe empowered in a certain way because they can access birth control and they know where it is. Yeah. That, that reminds me, actually, if we're thinking about power over the body, yeah. another way that fantasy is particularly interesting to think about consent is because these mm. worlds include magic. And something mm, that is mm-hmm. very interesting to me about the Alana series is Alana hates it when people use magic on her. She does. And she is yep. very clear about not consenting to that. And oh, interesting. And it's almost like Tamora Pierce. And I've noticed that this in another in a number of works by other fantasy authors, that they are more clear about the rules of consent when it comes to magic being used on someone often than mm-hmm. they are about sex. Ooh, that's a spicy yeah. take that I'd like to see an article on at some point. <laughs> this is the, this is where my thinking is going with Dane, her shapeshifter, right? So this, in the, in the total answer circle universes, apart from kind of those early circle books because they're really too young to be dealing with too much about kind of sex and birth control mm-hmm. and periods and those sorts of things. Dane is the kind of outlier in the Pierce world. She's mm-hmm. of the age where you'd be thinking about periods, where you'd be thinking about birth control, where you'd be thinking about all of those kinds of issues that, that go with sex. But Dane's got other things going on, right? She's like found out <laughs> she's a demigoddess. She's learning how to shapeshift. She's like got mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff on her plate. And we don't really think about consent and birth control and in the kind of sex ways. But part of Dane's learning to shapeshift is by is how she develops her connection with the animals that she shares a bond. Oh, so there's yeah. some really beautiful passages where she she tries to shapeshift by like enforcing her will on mm. the animal that she wants to become. She like 
she glues herself to them. She glues them to her. She sews them together like in her mind's eye. But it's Mm -hmm. not until she puts herself in a place of reciprocality. She starts listening. Hmm. She starts listening to their thoughts. She starts seeing through their eyes. And it's when she takes herself out of the position of authority and starts entering into a relationship with these animals that she then starts to enter into the full extent of her power. Mm-hmm. So it has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with consent in the way we're thinking about it today, but it has everything to do with consent and with power. Well, and that also reminds me, like when I'm thinking about consent, like in my work, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons I think it is so interesting and important to look at the way consent is working in children's and young adult literature mm. is like people can't just be expected to know how to navigate and understand and work with consent in a good effective way when they're having Mm -hmm. sex if they don't know how to work with it and use it in other arenas Mm, of their life it's a it's a learned skill it's not it's not something you just are told about and then know how to do Mm, so thinking mm -hmm, about consent mm -hmm. in these other arenas that are perhaps easier to talk about or easier to apply but also being wary of things like the tea metaphor which is often i think oversimplifies Mm. a little bit the whole consent thing that like thinking about it in these other yeah. areas is really really important and helpful and i think part is a way that YA fantasy is particularly at, like it's particularly able to do it's another reason we should be looking at fantasy and another reason we should be looking at Tamora Pierce because you get all of these nuanced discussions <laughs> across our corpus so actually picking up some threads from the conversation right if we're talking about animals and shape shifting <laughs> and relationships <laughs> All over the place. And so I love it though. I love it. I know where you're going. (laughs) (laughs) So I am the, I don't want to say the Tamara Tamara Pierce baby here, but I've only read two of her works, the trickster duology, which Mm -hmm. as a teen, I absolutely loved. But the thing that I remember the most from those books is the fact that there was a sexy crow man named Nawat. And I remember, I don't remember most of the story, but I remember <laughs> him being hot in my head and him giving a birth control charm to Ali. That's like what I recall. Mm. So also, clearly- but, but to be clear, by crow man, it's a crow who turned into an, a man, not someone who is simultaneously. <laughs> that is very fair. Yes, he's not like a demi crow human. He is a crow <laughs> that turns into a man. But still has but the I mean, mind of a crow. At will. Yeah. 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 At will. At, at will. will. <laughs> so obviously, you know, I was destined to be a monster scholar, right? If what sticks with me is the transforming crow man. Um, but, <laughs> but would you all say that Pierce is kind of making interesting moves with some of her romances and coupling? Does she complicate what we're expecting from YA romance? And I say we both maybe us as scholars, but also mm. us as pop culture readers, larger kind of conversations about what YA romances are, you know, or should I just kind of sit with the fact that I remembered the hot bird man and that was it <laughs> and I have some like deep diving to do. <laughs> there is deep diving. You could, I, there's so many things running through my it head. It could be both. <laughs> it could be all of these things and more. <laughs> I mean, on a, on a kind of very basic level, our girls get to have more than one love and more than one Mm -hmm. lover Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool and that that becomes kind of more Corinne's kind of ballpark than mine Um, and maybe we want to start there and then I can do some Mm -hmm. talking about sexy crow man and the implications (laughs) of sexy crow man as a lover so yeah uh, going back really quickly and thinking about getting to have more than one love interest and sexual Mm. partner like even at the beginning with Alana Alana starts out sleeping with Prince Jonathan who is like Mm -hmm. the prince who like you think she's gonna end up with like based on like various romance patterns but she doesn't she ends up breaking up with him and she has another partner who's like a warrior dude which is like a whole other thing and then she ends up with George Mm -hmm. who is like the king of thieves like kind of almost like opposite of Prince Jonathan in a lot of ways. But then for me, that particular negotiation of relationships is interesting because Jonathan most of the time doesn't actually respect Alana's consent and like what Mm. Alana wants for her life. And George very much does. And that is like a pattern that Pierce sort of continues with where we see 
a lot of our girls experience or like learn various things from their different romantic relationships and their different Mm, specifically sexual relationships that do not make them any less desirable as partners so like the another example that i'm thinking of is in the becca cooper trilogy like becca doesn't Mm. really have a love interest in the first book you could argue that rosto kind of is and also like i hardcore shipped her with rosto but I, I, alas, it was not to be. It was never going to work. It's never going to work. No, it work. was not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then in the it second book. But I agree. In the second, second book, male she has. syndrome. Well, but also even going into that, Becca is already not a virgin. She has already slept with someone that is made explicit yeah, to us. And she's like, yeah, like I've had sex. Yeah. Wasn't that great for me. I'm a focus Aww. on my job. Uh, but then in the second book, she has, she gets this love interest who is dale who has the quote that we uh who is the source of the quote we started with and he's like very fun and she like learns that sex can be fun and that like you can laugh during it which is something she says specifically (laughs) and but then also like dale ends up breaking up with her which like i think in a footnote i put that like actually so it turns out dale is a fuck boy uh because he basically is (laughs) but then in the space between Becca's second and third book she ends up in kind of an abusive relationship and like she gets Mm -hmm. engaged and her fiance dies and she has a lot of really complicated feelings about that because she needed to break up with him because he wasn't he was emotionally manipulative there's some like suggestions that he may have even hit her Mm -hmm. and she's this kind of she's like Mm -hmm. a badass basically like kind of policewoman and the policing in the Becca Cooper trilogy is another topic that someone should address we're not going to get into the complications of that right now podcast yes (laughs) Uh, but i do want to acknowledge that but also we're not going into the details of that but like what Mm -hmm, she learns mm -hmm. from from dale from uh oh i can't remember his name the abusive guy and what she learns like along the way then influence her relationship with farmer who is a mage who she ends up with at the end of the trilogy so like she learns about herself she she learns that like sex sex can be good yeah go sorry what does she does she ever have sex with farmer she like they have a really cool relationship there's a really interesting moment in the third book where they're in like a dungeon and a prison and they're kind of being set up yeah they're like put in the same cell and like yeah but that's also where he has the magic things stored in his and has to get out (laughs) yes what (laughs) (laughs) see this is one of the problems of talking about fantasy and is is deciding how much detail should we give about what is happening (laughs) so you guys just said he has a magic thing stored in his what and then just left it so i think for the purposes of our listeners that means a little bit just a just a smidge. They get very intimate because Farmer is a certain kind of mag within this world, and he has the ability to store his kind of magical reservoir both within himself and in external objects. Mm-hmm. And throughout the series, we know that he's he knows something bad is going to happen, something like terribly horrible, mm-hmm. world rifting bad is going to happen. So he's like squirreling away all this magic power, and he does that by embroidering. He embroiders his magic power, which is a hangover oh, from Circle I love Universe. That. Mm-hmm. So he embroiders his magic into this kind of ribbon thing, and then he shoves it up his bum to store it, so that when he's ah. like searched, they're not going to find it. Mm-hmm. And when he and Becca reunite in the dungeon, he has to get it out. Yes. Ah, so they I have see. this like finally realize their romantic moment in the dungeon and then he has to like get the magic thing out of his bum mm-hmm. i mean but they do also could... <laughs> the reason i brought it up <laughs> was they do have like a very particular conversation about like it's... even though they might yeah. die they don't want the first time that they have sex to be, to be... that even if it might yeah. be the last chance they don't want to be like forced by circumstances to make that choice so mm-hmm. a little butt play is okay <laughs> but they don't want to have penetrative sex i mean that's what's so yeah that's why it gets so interesting i mean because that could have been fun we weren't there we don't know <laughs> i mean they were both beat up pretty bad oh, okay, never mind. Like, that's different. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a hugely intimate moment they have possibly even a more intimate moment together than than some people have 
when they're having sexual mm-hmm. intercourse mm-hmm. because it's so it, there's so much built into it but it, me, becca becomes a really interesting figure in terms of sex mm-hmm. in that way yeah i Sorry. love thinking about becca like i compare becca and alana in my first chapter of my dissertation yep. because like i can't talk about all of them mm. even no. though as much as i would love to oh, but you'd be-, be here forever <laughs> <laughs> but becca just sort of subverts or goes against a lot of the like most expected choice that like alana might make yeah because because a because pierce has then had these characters make these decisions before so she can explore other options and also Mm -hmm. because becca is like again like of a lower class and not like she's not a noble she doesn't come from like a noble heritage she doesn't necessarily have a ton of resources she does have some things yeah Mm mm-hmm I'm going to complicate your reading of Alana when my book chapter comes out, by the way. Oh, please, please do. (laughs) So we've been thinking a lot about people having sex, but also about the use of contraception, right? Mm -hmm. Stopping babies from happening. (laughs) Um, But kind of flipping that around, you're talking, I think you mentioned that some characters or other characters children and there's like lineages that are being created in Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. worlds so like is our babies are our families largely you know family units kind of lineage lineages are those important things in pierce's work as well i yes super important (laughs) (laughs) just to like go in there really bluntly um it's part of the world building, right? So you get mm-hmm. 1983 Alana, and then sort of in 2002, 2003, you get her daughter series, which is the one you've read with Sexy Crow Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's really cool just in a sense to see Alana had kids, right? And she's gone through this complicated mm-hmm. kind of romance and gender identity formation, right? In her series, she trades places with her brother to go to the palace to become a knight while she's there she doesn't stay pretending to be tom her brother she becomes alan this boy in his or her own right Mm -hmm. interestingly the novel does use kind of she her pronouns throughout Mm -hmm. even as she's adopting this kind of male subject subjective Mm -hmm. kind of identity and she has these really interesting sexual relationships i'm not convinced that her relationship with John is her relationship with John as much as it's Alan's relationship with John, which kind of throws the whole span into those works. So she finally lands with George, though. And they do have kids. She has these three kids. She has twins, Allie and Alan. I almost forgot there. And an older son called Tom, which is really interesting because it's kind of a playing out of the three kind of gender identities she's a she adopts within her series kind of Allie is mm-hmm. kind of her girl persona Alan is her cross-dress persona and Tom is the brother that she shares a bond with and so she she kind of resolves herself in her series but then she has these babies that push that kind of gender identity and that self kind of onward hmm. um, and then you get Dane who's doing some really cool shape-shifting things because she ends up pregnant and is a shapeshifter and shapeshifts while she's pregnant her child is a shapeshifter Mm-hmm. And ultimately, she gets to this point where she has to shapeshift below the waist every time her unborn child does, else the baby might, like, kick itself out of her body. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Freaky. <laughs> oh, nightmare really, fuel. <laughs> the really, really interesting one, which maybe is even more, not, more of a nightmare fuel. Ali and Nawat do get married. They do have sex, and she gets pregnant. It's, it's canon- in that it's in the final trickster book it ends with like her staring down at the slight swell of her stomach mm-hmm. and morning mm-hmm. sickness mm-hmm. that's kind of lasting throughout the day and then in a short story that pierce wrote we get those babies being born and it's really fantastically wonderful because ali is convinced that she's going to give birth to or lay eggs <laughs> rather than human babies <laughs> And it's super, super funny because now at her, her crow turned human husband is like, dude, eggs would be so much easier to give birth to because there's like no head and legs and arms and things. They just come out easier. And he's got a very kind of, and Ali just totally is like, shut up. It's <laughs> <laughs> stupid. She doesn't give birth to eggs though, but she does give birth to triplets. And again, mm. it's this kind of playing out of self and like 
who are these women and who do these women become as adult women and then who do they become kind of through the lives of their kids, which sexuality and gender identities are played with a lot in Pierce, but they become really prominent, I think, in those children because it pushes that boundary, right, of the kind of single, stable, heterosexual identity that we expect and want and I'm using that in kind of the dominant narrative wants. Yeah. And well, Pierce and is also, complicating that from the beginning. Yeah, go. Also, build, building up just really quickly, when we think about then the use of birth control, when we see yeah. these women then choose to become parents later, is that's important then thinking about that, like, their choice to not have children could be their choice for now but didn't have to be their yeah. choice forever. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. allows them then the agency to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, too, um, if we're thinking about how characters change over the course of time, you know, how your mindset changes over the course Mm -hmm. of time. These are all fantastic and wonderful points. Um, Just to pick up a little bit, though, on something Leah was saying, I feel like a lot of our conversation has kind of been sitting with very heterosexual Mm -hmm. conversations of Mm -hmm. sex and romance, right? So expanding our conversation a little bit is Pierce talking about queer characters like queer relationships obviously are a thing that exists Mm -hmm. but is this something that pierce is sitting with is this a spot that kind of falls outside of her purview is this is this something that she's incorporating Mm. into her worlds um yeah let's let's sit with that a little bit so i think it's important here to think about ways that queerness is incorporated into the books canonically and then yeah. ways that mm-hmm. it, has, it has been yes. viewed and way that ways that she, like she might have tweeted about a character's mm-hmm. identity or ways that readers have read something like particularly when we're thinking about Alana but so but I'll start with some mm-hmm. of the canonical queerness that's in her books mm-hmm. because there is some and I think it's important to acknowledge it and be clear about it so like in the circle universe there uh there's a lesbian couple uh lark and rose thorn and they are delightful and what i think is particularly interesting about them is it is not clear that they are like a romantic couple in the first Hmm. eight books like but my sister recently was rereading the circle of magic quartet and was like and texted me and was like lark and rose thorn they are gay (laughs) I cannot be convinced otherwise. (laughs) And I was like, well, yeah, they are. But like that then becomes canon and is written into it in Will of the Empress, which was published in 2005. And but then also in Will of the Empress, the context in which that comes up is that Daja, who is one of the four mains that that world follows, discovers that she is, in fact, attracted to women. And there's there's a really interesting sequence where she talks about how like, oh, like she tried kissing boys before, but like it just felt odd. But then when she kisses Rizu, it feels totally different. And she understands like what people had been talking about. Mm. So in this in this book, Daja both becomes a character comfortable with her own queerness but she also i think sometimes and Mm -hmm. i don't want to say this is universally the case but a lot of the times being queer can become more of an identity question and those characters don't always get to have like fully developed sexual relationships but like in that book dodja does and it's really compelling but what would you add Mm -hmm. leah Oh, well, just a really quick question, Leah, before you jump in there. This series that ends with The Will of the Empress, the last book is in 2005, but do we know when the series started? Is it is this all within, quote unquote, the new millennium, which also dates me as a phrase, or is this something that's been uh, written over the course of like a decade or so? I'm pretty sure the first four Circle books were in the early 90s. Early 90s, okay. yeah. Okay. They were. I, I think that's what's really fun to track with Pierce right you've got Mm -hmm. there's definitely some some queerness to Alana's story and I see it and I mean Jess Battis um who works on LGBTQI and Mm -hmm. stuff has has done a really cool article on kind of the queerness of Alana's story Mm. so it's there in kind of the 1980s and it's I think that's where it's it's like there's canon like overt like yes we're gonna like explicitly say this in the story and then there's kind of those gray spaces there's ambiguities Mm -hmm. where if you're looking for it, if you're open to it, you can probably pick some things up that maybe a straight heck kid who's not looking for those things isn't going to pick up. Mm. And I think we need a mix of both. And I think Pierce gives us a mix of both, which is another reason she's so exciting. 
So building on that, like what is both in the books and not is like one take on it that Tamora Pierce has had is she tweeted, I think a couple of years ago now that like there is a possibility that Alana could be non-binary and might Mm. identify that way. But that Tamora Pierce like, like she didn't have the language for that when yeah. she was writing the books in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So there's a way that that is both freeing and limiting mm-hmm. in the way that like representation both does and does not count if you like aren't yeah. saying it, I think. Mm-hmm. It is, it is very, very complicated. Yes. It's an interesting one because I didn't need her to, to do that quote to kind of see it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's nice that she's acknowledging the possibility, I think, but doing it in such a way that she's also not saying this is now canon, you have to accept Alana as this. Mm-hmm. I think she's going, this is a possibility. Yes, she might be gender fluid and that's what I see in her, but maybe you see something else, which mm-hmm. I, that, it's that kind of leaving things open to possibility, that kind of possibility of queerness, I think, that is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's an... Y'all are so great. That's an excellent point. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been chatting for quite some time and I have decidedly enjoyed myself. But to kind of wrap up here, to kind of bring our conversation to a close, are there any last things you want to bring to our listeners? Any lingering thoughts that you want to make sure people take away from our conversation today? Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Pierce is amazing. Support her. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to talk she, a little bit about that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, it's this, and it's it's this underlining thing with YA fantasy, right, that it kind of snuck in under the radar. We expect realistic YA. Once we kind of got to this point where we're going to treat YA as kind of a legitimate area mm-hmm. of study and a, a kind of area of literature and fiction that's doing cool things and doing interesting things, we, we go to the realistic stuff, right? That's the only place where those hard-hitting ideas are going to be dealt with. And fantasy and Pierce and others, Robin McKinley and Anne McCafferty and Land mm-hmm. there's, there's a whole group of women kind of on the back of second wave feminism in the 80s who are doing some really amazing things. Pierce sticks out because of her longevity, because of her attention to some of these really complicated issues that are complicated in her works and fantasy gets short shrift. We don't, Mm. we don't turn to it to think about these big weighty ideas, but actually issues of identity and gender identity and consent and representation and what it means to live and be as a girl within this world whether or not you menstruate or don't or have the the biological body parts we like to associate with being a girl mm-hmm. there can you can still be a girl in these fantasy worlds or a boy or a wolf if you're a shapeshifter that's what i want i want to be a wolf <laughs> right and i think that's why we need to give fantasy and speculative fiction a bit more credit than we do and on another thing that I would add to that as well is that in these stories that are often also about like defeating a particular villain or learning a kind of magic, like sexuality and sex is part of the story, but yeah. it is not the story. And that is something that is really important because like one of the things that I think Roberta Trace says about sex in YA is that sexuality particularly in realistic problem novels becomes like the problem to be solved Mm -hmm. and when the problem to be solved is defeating the ultimate bad guy then sex is something you learn and figure out along the way and it is not necessarily the problem but is instead just part of growing up Mm mm-hmm yeah, if you're trying to deal with this sorcerer who has mad magic powers and he's trying to, like, take over the throne, <laughs> sex isn't dominating the narrative. It's part of the narrative, but it's not dominating <laughs> things. you got to watch out for the guy wielding the really strong magic. Yeah. So, as Leah gestured to, you should all support Tamora Pierce, Tamara Pierce, <laughs> Tamara Pierce. I'm going to try. I'm going to get it. She has a Patreon that she actually uses to support feral cat colonies. So if you want, you can go support Pierce's cat colony efforts. I always 
love a good cat support effort. So I'm putting that out there. But of course, you can find the variety of published works that Pierce has out there at your local bookstores or on things like bookshop. I think it's bookshop.com and things like that. But why don't you guys do a little bit of a plug? We, of course, want to support Pierce, but we also want to make sure that our listeners are supporting y'all. So where can we find you on the big wide interwebs? Mm. Leah, you want to go first? Yeah, um, I am on the Twitter. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm using Twitter to distract myself from doing book revisions all the time. Um, it's Lee, L-E underscore Phil, P-H-I double L. Um, I'm also not necessarily the voice always behind the stuff coming from the YASA, Y Studies Association accounts, but I'm definitely part of that organization. And the Y Studies Association does have a website. Membership is free at the moment. You can join us. <laughs> we do a critical theory reading group once a month. We have a fiction reading group every other month. And on Thursday, actually tomorrow, our fiction reading group meets and we're discussing um, A Song of Wraith and Ruin, which I finished reading last night. And I can't wait to talk to the fiction crew um, about that. Yeah. Twitter. What's and Twitter and, the yeah. YA Studies website? The YA Studies website is the yastudiesassociation.com. So yastudiesassociation.com. And there's all sorts of really cool information on there. Um, we have a book, like a YA critical theory database. Um, there's a membership directory. We host the reading groups. We hosted a conference in November of 2020. And we'll be hosting the next conference in November 2022. So there's just lots of really cool things happening in and around YA studies. So if you're into kind of YA lit or you're a librarian, or a teacher, or you write it, there's kind of a home for you in YASA. Yeah, yeah definitely. Shout out to YASA. It's a great conference. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was good, wasn't it? <laughs> so, tiring. So tiring. <laughs> so you can find me uh, at, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my sort of academic Twitter is, I, I only have one Twitter. I don't know why I said that. Uh, but <laughs> I am at Corinne underscore Catherine, and that is spelled C-O-R-I-N-N-E underscore K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. And you can also find me and Ayani uh, mm -hmm. uh, on our podcast, which is called Sex Love Literature. Uh, and our handle for that, uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you search sex love lit uh, all one word all one word <laughs> where can we find you Ayani oh, nowhere I am a mole and I live in the ground <laughs> and no, I'm kidding. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Ayani does things all one word and Ayani is spelled A-Y-A-N-N-I and then on Twitter at Ayani does stuff again all one word very very creative taglines but excellent so thank you both so much thank for this me. lovely conversation yeah. it's clear that you are bursting at the seams <laughs> with things to say about Pierce so needless to say Leah we will be looking forward to your book corinne will be looking forward to future articles and a dissertation maybe one day hopefully yeah i'll I write it eventually <laughs> write the dissertation yeah. <laughs> and uh this has been tamora pierce was our judy bloom sex ed in ya fantasy um i keep wanting to say outline because that's what's there but tamora pierce was our judy bloom sex ed in ya thank you so much for listening Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.